may be seated. And so we turn to the book of Leviticus this morning. This morning I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. That's all. You will have the assignment throughout the week of reading Leviticus 1 through 7. Take a chapter a day. Just read it. Okay? I'm not asking you to fully comprehend or understand it, but read it. A chapter a day. And the next Lord's Day, we'll take up those seven chapters uh, in, in our message as we look at all those various offerings that you're going to encounter in those seven chapters. But for this morning, we begin with Leviticus 1, verses 1 and 2. Hear them, the breathed out word of the Lord your God. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. As far reading this morning. Let's bow in prayer. We have just sung by the Sea of Crystal, which is a beautiful, beautiful testimony in rhyme and verse and song of your holy salvation. The gift that you have given to us planned even before the foundations of the earth were laid. You have, through the blood of Jesus, washed our sins away so that we now have the prospect of being able to return or to go to heaven to be with those saints who have gone before us. Lord, there's no way we can ever thank you. But Lord, we do pray that you will give Pastor Bob the words, the clarity of mind, and the wisdom to convey those thoughts to us. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So you have your assignment. Let me particularly stress that if you are a hunter who dresses your own animals, or if you're a farmer who has uh, dressed animals, slaughtered them, prepared them, that this might be of a special interest to you to figure out and to see the multitude of different ways that these animals needed to be prepared uh, for sacrifice. And uh, it is an interesting thing in and of itself just to, to look at it from that perspective, especially if you have done it on your own. But this morning from this couple of verses, want to look at three things. One, the book itself. Two, the repetition that we're going to find within this book. And thirdly, the purpose. Now the reason I'm preaching this sermon series is by request. Someone from the congregation mentioned that uh, they were finding reading Leviticus to be a very difficult thing. And I can understand why. It is not an easy read. In fact, as we think about the book, that might be the first thing we have to talk about is the fact of how often this book is avoided and the reasons it's avoided. 
This, this is not like the most popular book uh, on one's nightstand to pick up and, hey, I think I'll read through the book of Leviticus. It's not uh, one of those popular Bible study books. It's not the source of, of a lot of literature out there. It's even sometimes kind of tough to find even commentaries written on the book of Leviticus. Why do we avoid it? Well, some people just say it's too difficult. I just don't understand. I just don't get what's happening. I don't get the flow. I, I don't understand what's happening. Some people think it's too Jewish. Why do we have to study this book that seems to be so set in the Old Testament, that seems to be so Old Testament-ish, that has nothing to do with Christ, that has nothing to do with the church, and certainly has nothing to do with me and my family. It's just way too Jewish. It's just way too historical, perhaps, we might say. Others might look at it and say, it's just too bloody. seems like every page that I'm on, something's got to die, and we got to do something with that blood. And it's just kind of, I don't know, I, I, I don't like having to deal with that. So I just won't read the book of Leviticus. Or for others, it's just too repetitive. It's like, didn't I just read this? I'm in the next chapter. Didn't I just read this? Isn't this the same thing I just read? Like, why do I got to keep reading the same thing over and over and over? For others, it's just too unrelatable. <laughs> Perhaps especially if you, if you think about this book outside of the context of the church world, which probably struggles with it in this day and age to begin with, but even out of, if you take it out of the, uh, a conservative church world where hopefully we have some working knowledge of what Leviticus is about, and now bring it into the world, okay, and say, hey, read the book of Leviticus. Tell me what you think. They're going to go, what are you people up to? Right? They're going to think that. This, this is really strange literature. Yet, this is the word of the Lord. God in his sovereign purposes, God in his sovereign plan, God in his infinite wisdom gave us this book. The Lord called Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. This is what the living Lord God, this is what the sovereign majesty, this is a book given to us by the one who out of nothing created all. This is the one who rules and reigns supreme. This is the one of whom every square inch of this universe, and if there are universes beyond, owns, rules, and governs. He gave us this. He spoke this word. Why would I not want to read it? Why would I not want to study it? Why would I not want to seek to learn as much as I possibly can about what this great God says. Secondly, in regards to the book, is the title. Titles of books are not part of the text. 
Never look at the title and say, oh, God wrote the title. No, the title is not part of the text. Okay? So the title of the book that we have in English, Leviticus, is found nowhere actually in the text. That's just for our convenience. We could have simply started numbering book one, two, three, four, five. Instead, the decision was made, we're going to give them names. Well, where did this particular name come from? Well, it actually comes out of the Latin Vulgate, uh, the Latin translation of the Greek Septuagint. In Greek, it's Leviacon, means pertaining to Levites. Yeah, there's much of the book that pertains to Levites. Hebrew title is simply, and he called. Because the Hebrew titles of the books tend to take just the first words of each book. So you have Genesis in the beginning. Genesis, okay, uh, type of thing. So in Hebrew, it's, and he called. The scribes, intertestamentary Jesus time, refer to it as the priest manual. Um, I've often referred to it as, you almost need to have, if you're a priest in the Old Testament Israel, you've got to have a wall chart. Okay, Joe is coming with a burnt offering. What exactly do I do with a burnt offering? Uh, Fred's coming with a sin offering. What do I do with this one? Okay, in a certain sense, it is a priest manual. But it is far more than that. Because it is addressed not just to Levites. It's addressed not just to priests. It's addressed to the people of God. It is God who wants his people to know that which is found therein. So we use the term Leviticus okay, only because that's the historical way of looking at it. And you can't say that, well, that's unbiblical or because it isn't part of the text right? in that regard. But the placement of the book of Leviticus is interesting. So if you have your Bible open, hopefully yet, to Leviticus chapter 1, okay, we have two books that come before it, right? Genesis and Exodus. We have two books that follow, Numbers and Deuteronomy. It is placed exactly in the middle of the Torah. Of the five books that Moses is the author, the exact middle is Leviticus. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you why that is. Because there is something so central about this book that it deserves the placement of centrality that it is given in Scripture. But there's another reason as well. The book of Exodus deals with the people coming out of the land of Egypt. It is God's rescuing his people. It is God's redeeming his people. The book of Numbers deals with the journey to the promised land. And the entering of the promised land. The book of Leviticus sits in the middle between those two great historical events. It sits at Mount Sinai. The people of Israel, as far as we can tell, stayed at Mount Sinai a year to two years. So not just up on the mountain is he getting Ten Commandments. He's getting God's law. But he's also getting God's precepts as to the building of the tabernacle. 
if you look back, that's what the last part of the book of Exodus is about. Gathering the materials, what are the materials, and then the construction. And the very last thing that we read about is the glory of the Lord, Exodus chapter 40, filling that tabernacle, God's approval of being with his people. Leviticus is how do we as sinful people stay in fellowship with this holy, awesome God? We don't know the answer to that. Sinful people can't figure out how are we supposed to stay in fellowship with this holy God who dwells amongst us. The book of Leviticus then comes and says, this is how. This is how you, as my people, live in fellowship, live with me, dwelling in your midst. Does that pique our interest a little bit? It ought to, right? It ought to. In some ways, it, it, it sort of corresponds to where we are, right? We've been saved by God's grace in Christ. We are on a, a journey to the ultimate promised land of which we sang by the Sea of Crystal. How do we live? How do we live? How do we live as a redeemed yet sinful people in the presence of a holy God who rules and reigns over all? There's the book. Secondly, the repetition. So let me have you look, first of all, at Leviticus 1, verse 1. The Lord called Moses. Now, the word called is not going to be used often in Leviticus. But the point is, it has been. See, this is sort of a, a repetition for Moses. Remember, the whole story of Moses, in essence, begins... At a burning bush. Remember how it is? And the Lord called to Moses out of the burning bush. Moses' whole role and function begins with God calling him. Then, three times, Moses is called up to Mount Sinai. Moses, come up. God calls him. Moses doesn't just dart up Mount Sinai and say, hey, God, could you give us some instructions? It's always by God's initiation. It's always by God's call. That's why in our order of salvation, right, that we have in the Reformed faith, our salvation begins not with us, but it begins with God. It always is initiated with God. Here, too. This whole, how are we going to live, is initiated not by a group, not by a committee, not even by Moses himself. It is initiated by God. God called him. And once again, build the connection. Exodus chapter 40. The tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, is finished. God in his Shekinah glory, comes and fills that tabernacle. Read it. Okay? Picks up at verse 34, Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journey. What an amazing sight this this must have been to behold. Now look at the next verse, Leviticus 1. And God called Moses out of the tent of meeting. Out of this tabernacle now. Out of this place where God himself is dwelling in glory. He calls. Moses has heard this call before, right? I just... Mentioned those. The burning bush. Presence of the holy God. Take off your shoes. Up the mountain. It's a holy mountain. Put a barrier. That everybody can come up. Holy. A tabernacle. A holy place. Yet God speaks. God calls to Moses. Out of that tabernacle. an amazing thing this was for Moses. Moses! So that the whole people of God knew of the presence of God amongst them. And now he calls Moses to his presence that he might give him this word. How important this word must be then. How necessary it must be for them and for us. And then we read, right? Verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him. It's not just a call. Now we're going to begin a dialogue. Now we're going to begin a conversation. Now I'm going to tell you. Now I'm going to relate to you. See, this is the understanding of covenant. God, okay, as Dr. Wallachord said a couple of weeks ago, okay, does not come up with some sort of bilateral agreement and we kind of bargain back and forth this covenant. This comes from God. Moses, come and listen. I'm going to tell you some things. The conversation goes this way. I speak, you listen. And we're going to have a conversation. Some of you do that with your children, right? Okay? Not, 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 no ifs, ands, or buts. No, you just sit and listen. We're going to converse. And they, they're going, yeah, but dad, you're doing all the talking. That's right. But it's a conversation. Okay? Well, here is almighty God. Saying, we're going to have a conversation. You sit, you listen, and I'm going to speak. You know what's interesting in the book of Leviticus? 34 times throughout this book, we're going to hear that phrase. And God spoke, and God spoke, and God spoke. 34 times in, in, in this book, 
God, by the Holy Spirit, leads Moses to record that which took place, that which historically actually happened, and God, 34 times, wants to make sure that Moses records the words, the Lord spoke. He doesn't want those people of Israel to think in any way, shape, or form is this Moses idea. He doesn't want us to think in any way this is man's idea. Or that somehow or another we as human beings have the right to make some sort of claims upon God. He wants us to make sure that we know this is his word. This is his will. What an amazing God who desires to speak to us as human beings in a way and in a language that we might understand. In a few weeks, as the newsletter reported to you, I'm joining Dr. Wallacord, uh, going to Germany, doing a conference in Czechoslovakia, worshiping in Austria. I got a feeling I'm not going to know a whole lot what's going on. <laughs> Can you imagine what the language of God must really be like? That heavenly tongue, that heavenly communication, so far above our ability to even comprehend. Yet God, in his grace and in his mercy, comes and speaks in a way that could be understood, that could be translated, that could be written down, that could be read. That we might have available to us. It isn't God says, oh, look at those English speaking people. I better do something to help them. Because they're so important. Oh, folks, this is almighty God. Seeking. To love us. By communicating to us. If there's no other reason to read the book of Leviticus, it's because the Lord spoke. And just the marvel of having that which God comes to tell us. But there are other reputations. There's details. All sorts of details. I'm going to go through this list kind of fast. Uh, just to hasten on, because we'll come back to these things many times over. We read of the camp, the camp, the camp, the camp, 18 times throughout the book of Leviticus, the camp is going to be mentioned. The people, the congregation, God's concern for his people, for the people of Israel, for the church, for his called out ones, for his saints, and how the, the camp is supposed to conduct itself and how the camp is supposed to move forward. 
43 times this tent of meeting is going to appear. We're going to keep coming back here, keep coming back here. See, it's the reminder that God is giving to us. You got to keep coming back to me. You got to keep coming back to meeting with me. You got to keep coming back to this place where I am. You, you, this, this is central to your life as the people of God. Don't think somehow that, that you as the people of God can live your life apart from the tent of meeting. Apart from where I am. You, you need me to live. You need this relationship with me in order to exist in this world. When you're ill, when you're sick, where do you have to go? The tent of meeting. When you sinned, where do you need to go? The tent of meeting. When you want to worship and express joy, where do you need to go? The tent of meeting. When you want to draw your family together, where do you go? The tent of meeting. The centrality of this place reminds us in this day and age of the centrality of meeting with God. The blood. Blood. You're right. It's a bloody book. 86 times. That comes out to about three and a half times per chapter. Blood, 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 blood. Nothing without the blood. Nothing without the blood. Everything is always the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Yeah, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here comes this beautiful, glorious shadow coming up and rising from the book of Leviticus. And pointing us to the blood of the one who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That nothing, nothing we are as the people of God, nothing we can be, nothing we ever shall be, is without the blood. The blood of Christ poured out for us as a sacrifice. Without defect, 18 times. The purity, the no stain, the sinless, the holy. These animals that, that come without their defect. Christ, the sinless, the only, the only acceptable sacrifice before us. So there's a lot here, isn't there? More than just meets the eye. Yeah, there's a lot of repetition, but God's repeating it for a reason. He knows what we're like. He knows our forgetfulness. He knows our waywardness. He knows we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Then how do you have a right relationship with me? And I'm going to repeat it, and I'm going to repeat it, and I'm going to repeat it. Which brings us then, thirdly, to the purpose. Two you can probably already gather from where we've been this morning. The first is this. One, it's how to have a covenant relationship with God. How do we have this relationship? The work of God, the means God provides, how can I as a sinner 
have this relationship. The book of Leviticus tells me. It informs me. Secondly, it's to point us to Christ. How could it not point us to Christ? So whenever you're stuck, whenever you're reading, whenever you're looking at things and you're going, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little lost here in my reading. What do I need to remember? This is about my covenant relationship with God and God speaking to me about my covenant relationship with him and he's speaking to me about Christ. So as you read these seven chapters, keep those two thoughts in mind. Let those two kind of guide you. And then thirdly, there is a third theme. I want you to turn from here to Leviticus chapter 11. And with this we close this morning. Leviticus chapter 11. And it comes in a chapter which is about the kind of foods you can eat. The clean and unclean foods. That we'll eventually get to. But I'm sure the people of Israel probably had the same question. Uh, Why? I kind of like pork. It was good when we had it down in Egypt. Why can't I eat it anymore? What's the point? God tells us the point. Leviticus 11, 44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy you shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground for I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God you shall therefore be holy for I am That phrase is repeated, what is it, one, two, three, four, five different times in the book of Leviticus. Why? Be holy. Why? Because I am holy. You say, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. God's just speaking Old Testament That That's not about today's age. That's not about the age and society in which we live in. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 13. Peter's not obviously writing the book of Leviticus. It's not a priest's manual. But he's writing to us about what it means to be a believer. What it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. For I am holy.
called to be saints. Remember that passage? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. We are called. We are called. We are summoned by Almighty God. Summoned. Called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Summoned by God. To be saints. To be holy. To be set apart. Why? For I am holy. That should be the desire. That should be the passion of our heart and of our soul and of our life. Lord, make me holy. Wash me. Cleanse me. Lord, create in me a desire to live holy. Not just to live fully for you, but to live holy. Because you are holy. And you've redeemed me. You've taken me out of the exodus of my sin. And you're leading me to a sea of crystal. Lord, help me to be holy. Let me have the desire to be holy. God says, all right, Bob, here it is. Start reading Leviticus. And let's start dealing with how to be God's holy people. Father, thank you for your word. We've but opened the first verse. And already the richness, the depth, the beauty, the continuity, the fullness of your word is on display. Father, as we read throughout this week, Father, help us to to continue at it. Help us to, to hear you speak to us. Help us to listen well. And then as we come back, Lord willing, next Lord's Day to, to look at these chapters, may we again, Father, see Christ in all his beauty, in all the wonder, and all his perfections. As the one who is our Lord. The one who is our Savior. In Christ's name. God's people say. Amen.